and she says, we should make our children, our young adults here in Loma Linda, she said that in my head, <laughs> acquainted with the great pillars of our faith, the reasons why we're called. As were the children of Israel to be a peculiar people, a holy nation, separate, distinct from all others on the face of the earth. And so it's the call of every godly Adventist parent, godly Christian Adventist leader to tell you why and how it came about. And so tonight is my attempt to do that. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Hey, good evening, everyone. So glad that you guys are here. My name is Philip, and I am one of the pastors here at the University Church, and I am grateful to be able to shepherd and lead in young adult ministry. You know, everything that happens up here is not by accident, nor is it by uh, the will of one person, but rather an incredible team that makes this happen. If you're brand new to this campus, I want to welcome you. I want to tell you God has something good for you in store to this place. And uh, these are some amazing people that make this happen. So Carl, thank you for setting this up. Music team, you guys are amazing. Sound guys, Austin leading, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Tonight I'm really excited to continue our series called Why Adventism? And particularly tonight because we get into some of the origin stories and kind of the reason why Adventism is here. Why its founding was so important and its significance in your life, actually. Some of you I know are not Adventists. Some of you are still kind of early in your faith development. And so I'm speaking to you in a way that maybe some of you are like, wow, this is a little bit much. I'm not sure. So ask someone in here who might be an Adventist and is a buddy of yours to kind of give you some lessons and just understanding a bit more depth later on. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in into this tonight, into some history, and we're going to look at some text together, some quotes from my good friend, Alan and it's going to be a good time. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump into it. Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy and goodness on us. God, we don't deserve it, and yet you call us your sons and daughters. And so, Father, we are privileged to be able to be part of the family of God. Tonight, I pray that we would be understanding that this Adventist family is but part of a larger family called believers, Christians. And so, God, thank you uh, for calling each and every one of us as distinct different denominations call some beautiful thing about you out. Lord, thank you for calling this people, these Adventists out as well. And Lord, thank you for the contribution they can give to this planet. But Father, I also pray that we would see the significant, eternal, and important call that they do have and that each one of us is called to as well. In Jesus' name, speak, Father, in spite of me. Amen. You know, I don't tell you this uh, with any shame, but the thing is, I know that most young adults could care less where we are in the prophetic time of Earth's history. 
Now, I don't believe that that's potentially you. You're here. You're in church. Unlike many of our friends, family members, and most of American society, they don't find themselves attending a church. Our latest studies indicate that now, for the very first time, as of the last two years, less than 50% of the American population is actually attending church. The rise of the nuns continues, not the Catholic nuns, but those who say that they are not part of any religious organization. Now, this also indicates that there is a huge decline in those who attend church, churches across the board, not just in Adventism, but around the world. A study that was done by the Research and Archives Director at the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists in Maryland found that over the last 50 years, over 37 to 38 million people became Seventh-day Adventists. Something to be celebrated. And the delegates that were there definitely did. They were stoked. They were cheering. It was a high moment. And then Dr. Trim went to the next slide. And he said, I have to tell you a sad fact and reality. The fact is this, that 40% of all of those have left. And then he went to another slide and he said the saddest reality is that two-thirds of all those that left are young adults. And that's what makes me the most sad. And so the reason I get to this series tonight and this second part and why I'm so passionate about this is because I believe in this church. I became a Seventh-day Adventist second. I became a believer first. At 19, I was converted to this thing called Christianity, but I grew up as a pastor's kid of a Seventh-day Adventist minister. You see, the thing is, it doesn't matter what you know about your faith until you know him who is the author and founder of our faith. And so I know some of you here are cultural Adventists still, living off of the faith of mom and dad, living off the faith of grandparents or uncles or people you admire, your friends. And I don't come here assuming everyone even wants to be in this place just for the sermon and the music. I know some of you experience loneliness. You experience the lack of community. Hey, I just want to be here because I need friendship. And so tonight I want to just tell you I know that you're here because there's a reason beyond just what you might be feeling. I truly and honestly believe that God is calling you to a deeper faith. And so that's why we jump into this series why Adventism? Because there is something deeper that I think God wants for each one of us. So, let me tell you this. My friend Alan, she writes this. We're living in the most solemn period in world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and meditate upon His Word. We should now seek a deep, and living experience in the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. So regardless if you're Christian or you're pagan or you're something in between, I unfortunately tell you that you are consumed with the privileged Western culture. What that means is that you, like I, have become a little bit more loose with the life I live as opposed to people 100 years ago even. We now in Western culture have more free time, more cash, and more access to entertainment of all kinds ever possible and ever imagined. We are 
built within the desires of pleasure, comfort, and seeking novelty. We as a society no longer yearn for things of God as our primary source of entertainment, which was what happened in the early 1800s when this thing of Adventism came about. A tent revival's in town. Mom, Dad, let's go. Are you kidding me? Kids would never say that now. What? I'm not going there. Are you crazy? I'm playing my N64. That's way old. Sorry. I mean <laughs> PS4. That's what I meant. I still old. All right. I don't play any of those anymore. I, you know. Why are you playing those games still, bro? You're a man. What are you doing, bro? What are you doing? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> don't be messing around with the games. Girls are looking at you and they're like, this guy's going nowhere. All right, all right, I'll stop now. I'm stopping. Now. This guy is amazing. Daniel, stand up, man. He's awesome. I, lo I, lo I love this guy. Okay. He's single, too. Ladies, come on, help him out, man. Help him out. Okay. All right, calling you out tonight. No, he's my brother in Christ. I love this guy. But seriously, though, the call. Okay, okay, for real. I should pray now to calm us down. <laughs> Look what happened, man. Oh, goodness. No, but the thing is. You see, the seed of the gospel is and continues to be drowned out as a result of what Jesus prophetically saw into our modern age when he spoke on a hillside to a bunch of farmers and small businessmen and women. And he said in the parable story, the cares of this world will drown out the gospel. We are a people who are extremely distracted. We yearn after the dumbest things. This week, I struggle to not click Netflix. I, I tell you, every week it's something different that, that, that is thrown at me. I don't know if any of you can understand this. There's something that's always yearning to distract you and pull you out from what God yearns deeper to be in your life. Man, frustrates me. And so I ask you though, do you really care about faith? Do you really care about faith? And I think you do to some degree because you are, as I said initially, you're here. But if you do, how much do you? How enthralled is your life with the purpose of the kingdom? Do you understand why this Christian thing came about? Do you understand why Adventism emerged, its role, and the role you have to play? Because I believe if you did understand it completely, you would crucify your worldly desires at the cross and you would pick up the cross of Christ. And then you would fulfill what that World War II theologian and martyr proclaimed so prophetically, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man and woman, he calls them come and die. Not... Just, just put the PS3, 4, 5, 6 away and take some time to read the Bible. He says, come and die. Your money is no longer your own. Your preferences don't matter really. We need missionaries who are willing to die in the jungles. We need people who are willing to go across the street to be embarrassed we need people who are willing to speak to their friends. We need people who are willing to say, my pride doesn't matter. I will be an embarrassment for you, Lord. We need people who are willing to say, God, 
I'm done playing the game of church. I need something deeper. So where are you at? Where are you at? That's just part one. That's where we start tonight. And so here, this is my hope, that in this, you'll see that this community of Adventist believers is worth investing in, committing to, till Jesus comes again. The big reason why I want to share this series with you is this quote, again from my sister. And she says, we should make our children, our young adults here in Loma Linda, she said that in my head, (laughs) acquainted with the great pillars of our faith, the reasons why we're called. As were the children of Israel to be a peculiar people, a holy nation, separate, distinct from all others on the face of the earth. And so it's the call of every godly Adventist parent, godly Christian Adventist leader to tell you why and how it came about. And so tonight is my attempt to do that. Jesus, would you speak loudly into your people right now? God, I feel like I need to pray again because of the seriousness of the call of the gospel, the seriousness of where you're leading us as a community, and the seriousness of the decisions that someone here tonight needs to make to say, Mom, this isn't your church anymore. It's mine So God, please deliver us from the the distractions of this age, the gods of money, sex, and power, of pleasure, comfort, and novelty, and enthrall us into a depth of beauty founded in you. Amen. Amen. You see, Adventism was birthed in the late 18th century, just at the height of the French Revolution, when the world was so deeply concerned about Napoleon Bonaparte, when the United States and Europe were seeing reforms of all kinds, education, health, race, economy. People were yearning for something greater and a loss of that which was deism was finding its place. Deism, this skeptic way of understanding faith that said, ah, the miracles of Jesus, yeah, I don't believe that. Jesus' presence in my life? No, 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 none of that. It was also when the decline of intellectualism was beginning to occur. There was this rationalistic scientific mindset that was happening in the 17th century and early 18th century. It was when a period of many discoveries were occurring, but people were seeing science isn't the answer either. And neither is a deistic faith that doesn't value a personal walk with God. And this thing of the second great awakening emerged. When in the United States and Europe, people started to hunger for a personal depth. You wonder why the Bible Belt exists and why there's a church on literally every street in the South? The Second Great Awakening. I lived in Arkansas. I would walk down the street, church here. Next corner, church here. Next corner, church here. You can say thank you to the Second Great Awakening for a resurgence in faith in America. But it was during that time also, there was one such revivalist by the name of William Miller who came on the scene. He was a Baptist farmer. And in the early 1820s, he was convicted deeply by God to study the Bible with such depth and fervency. He wouldn't move from a single scripture until he completely understood it. 
I read, I read the Bible sometimes just to achieve the goal. I read the three chapters. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The brother didn't move from a verse till there was complete understanding. What if you and I read the Bible like that? We'd be a lot better off. And so he read the Bible with such fervency and he stopped in a book. The book of Daniel. And he stopped right in the middle of that chapter, in chapter 8, verse 14. And unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And as he sat there pondering, wait a minute. This has to be connected to the chapter going ahead. Daniel 9 with the 70 weeks. And that began his search of understanding. What does the 2,300 days mean? And so started this timeline chart. Adventists are great with timelines. If anyone's ever been to a prophecy seminar, you know that those preachers studied these timelines like you guys study science books. And the timeline chart began. And so, as he started studying the book of Ezra and Ezekiel, he saw that there was a beginning of these 2,300 days. Now, prophetically, years the 2,300 days he understood as he read the book of Ezekiel and Ezra and Numbers. Wait a second. There's a year-day principle. This doesn't mean a day. It means years. And when he looked at the book of Ezra, chapter 7 particularly, and Ezekiel chapter 4, he found the key to the beginning of it all, 457. I'm not going to stay here long, so don't cry on me. And then... He looked forward 2,300 years, 1843-44. And then he found something else that happened in between here. It was another prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 called the 70 weeks prophecy. I need some mathematicians for a moment. 70 weeks prophecy. 70 weeks, okay, each week has seven days. 70 weeks times 70 is 490, good, 490 years. And now the chapter there said, yeah, some of you got the math wrong and you're giggling, I know, I know. 69 weeks marked a certain distinct thing. And between that last week, Daniel says, the Messiah will be cut off, literally marked when Jesus would die. Bible is so cool. And this was written literally 700 years before Jesus ever came about. Now it says 457, but that happened later. The book of Daniel was written in the 600s BC. And so he's studying this and he sees all of this in the 1820s. And this brother spends the next 20 years of his life pursuing teaching, preaching, and making sure everyone understands that there is something significant about to happen here. And then several years into this discovery, he begins to realize that cleansing of the sanctuary, oh, it's pointing to the cleansing of the earth. The sanctuary has got to be the earth. What's the only thing that could happen with the cleansing of the earth, it's got to mean Jesus is coming back, he interprets. And so he assumes 
that that thing that happened in the Old Testament, this, this temple sanctuary thing, there was a, I did this in Sabbath school last week. If you're not going to Sabbath school, you're missing out on a cool place where I draw artistic things. And there, in that tabernacle place was a holy place, HP, and then the most holy place, MHP. And now, William Miller begins to realize, wow, the sanctuary is going to be cleansed. This cleansing only happened once a year. Because every day, people would come and bring these sacrifices to this altar right here. And there was tons of fire going on, a lot of blood. It was a scary thing, honestly. If you were a little kid, you'd probably be really scared in here. But this is where the priests would take every single day blood into this place right here. And right in front of the MHP, most holy place, they would throw the blood there and they would be forgiven of their sins. Because someone has to pay every time you and I choose unwisely. That was an everyday service that happened. But once a year, once a year, one person would be allowed to be in the midst of the glory of God, literally. And he would go through this completely. And he would cleanse the sanctuary by offering a perfect sacrifice. And so William Miller believed that this act of going into the most holy place this moment after the 2300 days are over, it must mean that the cleansing that these priests used to do in the Old Testament, which he applied to Jesus, because in the book of Hebrews it talks about Jesus being the high priest, he says it must mean Jesus is going to cleanse the earth with fire, everything's going to burn up. So he starts preaching that for 20 years. He preaches the cleansing of the earth for 20 years. Years. The population of the United States in the 1840s, according to the census, was 17 million people. And there were technically anywhere from 150 to 200,000 people who were known as the followers of William Miller, Millerites. 1% of the population there in the northeastern states believed this guy completely. Now, William Miller was so furious against Satan because there was something compelling him. And it was something that he found in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, called the three angels' messages. Now, someone here, can anyone tell me what's the first angel's message? Fear God. Why? His judgment came. Second one, what is it? Babylon has fallen. And then thirdly, you're going to get a mark if you're associated with Babylon. So now, fearing God because of his judgment, that meant for William Miller, because Jesus is coming, that means everyone I know is going to die if they don't believe and understand. Everyone needs to know. Everyone needs to understand the judgment is now. They can't wait. Because Babylon has fallen. This was the apostate teachings of the broader church. And he understood if anyone's associated with false teaching, they will get the mark of the beast. They are going to die. That's my best drawing of death. And because of that fact, William Miller preached with such fervency everywhere he went. 
to no avail. Because 20 years later, after he first discovered that, he and those 100,000 Millerites were utterly devastated. 1844, October 22, which in the Jewish calendar was the Day of Atonement that year, passed and went. And as a result of that, then people lost everything. Some people sold their properties. They didn't harvest their fields. Everything rotted. They lost everything. People were completely embarrassed. And three distinct groups came about. Those who went completely the opposite direction said, forget that. That was a waste of my life. Why did I do this? Nothing happened. Nothing good emerged. Nothing happened on that date. And this is what William Miller wrote because he was part of that group. He said, although twice disappointed, I'm not yet cast down or discouraged, he affirmed steadfastly. Surrounded with enemies and scoffers, yet my mind is perfectly calm. And my hope in the coming of Christ is as strong as ever, regardless of the disappointment. Whoa, how? You see, he did everything he believed was his duty to do. He warned everyone he could. And so to those that had joined him and that were feeling devastated, he told them this. Hold fast. Let no one take your crown and follow me in this, that I have fixed my mind upon another time. Did you not learn your lesson? Listen to this. I fixed my mind upon another time, and here I mean to stand until God gives me more light, and that is today, 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 until he comes. He recognized the beautiful principle of being ever ready for Jesus to come. Some of you get triggered by the talk of Adventism even. You get triggered at the thought of, wait a second, what is all of this leading to? But what William Miller and those that kind of followed after him understood was while there was a mistake that happened on the date of what happened here, there was no mistake that something occurred here. And so a group began to study even further, and they began to realize that on this date, Christ entered into the second phase of his ministry. There were two rooms, most holy place and holy place. There were two rituals, the daily sacrifice before here in the, in the holy place and then the most holy place, but there's two phases. And Jesus has always had this in mind for us, that the blood of Christ would cover a multitude of sins. And that would always be the case. But here... Something unique occurred now going forward from 1844. And that's what the beautiful thing the book of Hebrews talks about. Jesus is our judge in favor. A judgment in favor of us. Not Adventists, but everyone who chooses this. Everyone who chooses the cross. A judgment in favor of all who choose Jesus. That means you get in. You don't get in because you're Adventist, friends. Does everyone understand that? Don't let that joke be true in your home. Oh, shh, Peter and, and Paul tell someone up in heaven, this barricaded wall is where the Adventists are. 
They think they're the only ones here. You see, the thing is, we get judgment in favor. Judgment is not a bad thing. I want you to listen to Dwayne Colverig's sermon that he preached for us a couple years back. Look up Night Church Dwayne Colverig. It's the most amazing sermon on judgment I've ever heard. But there's something else, though, that happens here, and that's the work of intercession going forward. Christ is now praying for his people. And this happens before he comes. That's what's going on right now in heaven. Judging in favor of the saints and praying for us right before he comes. So this third group, this small, or the second group was these spiritualizers. They believe that Jesus did come in spirit. They got spirit wives, spirit husbands. It was a really weird thing. And they disbanded real quick. And then there was this third small group that studied again these prophecies and they understood something significant that happened actually. They understood all of these prophecies in a new light through the lens of scripture in the book of Hebrews. But now, William Miller left the scene and a few people came on the scene. Ellen White, Joseph Bates, and James White. Well, her name was Ellen Gould Harmon first. Then she married this guy named James White and then changed her name. And they began to found this community known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which began in 1861. So when people tell me, man, your church started with a complete joke and complete mistake. How could you be Adventist still? Are you kidding me? You guys were wrong about this stuff. I tell them the truth. That was in the past history, but we became a church and denomination like 20 years later. And this was a group of Methodists, Baptists, Congregationalists, Presbyterians. These were people from all kinds of churches that were studying these things, and they came to this revelation later in life. So don't be saying, oh, your church is founded on a mistake. Okay, sure. A lot of things are founded on corrections, which is what our church was founded on. And so I want to read you this, though, from one historian. Seventh-day Adventists believe that their roots go back in a long way in history, not only to the Millerite movement of the 1830s and 40s, but further to Wesley, to the 18th century evangelical revivalists, to the great Protestant reformers, to such earlier dissenting groups as the Lollards in France and the Waldenses in Italy, back to the primitive Celtic church of Ireland and Scotland, to the persecuted church of the first three centuries after Christ, back to Christ and the apostles himself. We go back, we go back, we go back. We always go back to Jesus. That's where we started. And that's where we'll stay, where Jesus is where scripture lies. And our community believes in reformation. That's why we exist. You see, these early Adventists, the first distinct doctrine that they came up with and realized, not came up with, but discovered from scripture, this idea of present truth, was the heavenly sanctuary, the first S. Adventism's distinct S's. Does anyone know these? You probably do. The sanctuary, the Sabbath, state of the dead, Spiritual gifts and as manifest in one way through Ellen White and the second coming. 
Some people don't actually believe in certain distinct Christian groups that there is an actual literal second coming. They believe your eyes are just going to be opened and you're going to see a new world. And some don't even actually believe in the second coming of Jesus. So these five S's kind of make us distinct from other religious groups. But now, this is the important thing. Adventists believe that the Reformation has to continue. And it doesn't stop. Do you realize that we haven't come up with any new understanding and teaching of Scripture for over 75 years? And not even that. It's even further beyond that. Almost 125 years. That means we have become a doubtless church. We've gotten established. We have church buildings. We have pastors, administrators, people that watch over the truth with hawk eyes. Don't allow you to ask questions you might be pondering because that could mess up stuff. We have a church that is no longer safe for us to think thoughtfully together, out loud, publicly. If you have a challenging opinion, don't say it out loud, bro. You might get disfellowshipped. That's a problem. That's a big problem. We need to be a community, and this is what I pray this community is. Right here at this church, a community where you can ask questions. A community where you can ponder your doubts together. A community that's safe for you to be honest and authentic and raw. And my prayer is that that would not stop in this church. Because I know you will leave this place in one to two years. I want you to take that wherever you go. A pursuit of truth. A pursuit of the kingdom of God that always points people back to Jesus. That this is what saves us. Not 28 fundamental beliefs. Not how pretty you look on Sabbath morning. Not this or that, but it's founded first and foremost in Christ. But we have to have still understanding of why we exist. Why did God call Adventists into existence? Because those five distinctives are important. When you corrupt truth, you alter someone's understanding of the character of God. And when the character of God is altered in a way in which it calls him to be a terrorizer of people for all eternity into death, people begin to question, wait a minute, what? When you begin to think that now your, your ancestors and people, there's this spirit world that everyone exists in, then it no longer gives people a reason to make a decision for Christ. Well, we all go to heaven. Do we? Or does Jesus matter, actually? And so we're left in concluding here in this text. As the band comes up, I want to just share with you some small point from Acts chapter 1. Let me read you this quote first. The Seventh-day Adventist church began like a Silicon Valley startup, says one commentator. Led by young people with a vision and a passion for a cause. People like Ellen White, John Loughborough, Jane and Andrews, Uriah Smith, John Harvey Kellogg. They made significant impacts on developing the Seventh-day Adventist church while still teenagers and young adults. What impact are you making on this church? 
What impact are you making on this church? Because it's the time for each one of us to mature up into a point where it's like, no, I'm not just a participant in this thing. I'm a leader in this thing. I'm a change agent. I'm a mover. I'm a shaker. What I study in my devotions might impact someone's eternity. What I pray about might impact someone's life. The faith that I have now here in this moment is important. So what's your call when you leave here today? What is your point when you, when you exit these doors? What are you called to do? You're called to the same thing the first disciples were. Acts chapter 1. And Jesus looked at them and he said, It's not your job to know the times and the seasons. It's not your job to get into conspiracy theories of how the Pope's going to do this and that. It's about you to do this, to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. It's about you and me being the witnesses of the Father. Who are you witnessing of? Are you witnessing of the latest and greatest thing you have, the greatest show, the music you listen to, or are you a witness of Jesus in your life? Because Jesus is looking for someone who will witness about him. So tonight I want to encourage you. Listen to what Jesus concluded to his disciples. And when he said these things, they were looking and he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood at them with robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. Jesus said he's coming back. Jesus said he's coming back. Jesus said he's coming back. And he's coming back for his friends. And I know you're his friends. But now we need more people to be his friends. We need more people to be in the family of God. We need more people who are willing to sacrifice and take their faith to the next level. Will you be that kind of friend of Jesus? Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, Follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.